it's Dom's. little rock and roll on this Friday. (laughs) little rock and roll coming at you on this Friday morning. That's fine. fine. For your drive in. Friday morning. (laughs) John, how was, um, how was your Halloween? It wasn't bad. It was, uh, we didn't get as many kids, but the number of kids that show up to our house year over year has kind of decreased. Yep. More and more. And I don't know if it's just a sign of our neighborhood getting older. I mean, it's, it shouldn't, but it is. Like our neighborhood's kind of one of those neighborhoods that are really good for first-time homebuyers. It's a lot of kind of ranch-style houses. You know, max is usually around three to four bedrooms. Okay. Um, so usually we have quite a bit of kids, but I think we're on, all of those kids are now in high school. Yeah. So they're not coming around as much as they used to. Yep. I think we have some of that, and also we're on this like little weird loop in the neighborhood that most people just don't come down. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like people don't feel like, especially trick-or-treating, it's not worth the investment. To go down to that area. Yeah. So they just don't go. But, um, did you, did you decorate? We did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Our neighborhood goes all out. It's crazy. Uh, Ours used to, but now doesn't. I mean, we don't. I, I didn't even bring down the stuff this year. We have our in, we have, we have stuff we decorate inside, and that's only because it's handy and my wife does it. Yeah. I you didn't decorate outside? No. Oh, my gosh. In fact, I need to throw away a bunch of stuff. It's kind of rotted up in the attic. <laughs> yeah. No, we, so I, re- I put like a, all of our like landscaping lights on the lights in front of the house. I mm. change out to like, orange and purple lights and then we put up all the all kinds of deck there's like spiders crawling up my house and <laughs> that's cool i, I, I want to decorate for christmas so i, I want to make a concerted effort in fact i might just take it take some time off from work just to yeah. solely do that and decorate the house we um are we have a guy that puts our christmas lights up every year and he already texted about a week or so ago and he's like when can we when can i put these up i'm like well just let's just get past halloween and as soon as we're past that that's fine it doesn't matter we, we we have people with their Christmas lights up before Halloween. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. What what the market needs to do is come up with LEDs that will be the you know orange and purples for Halloween, and then you just flip a switch and it's green and and white for Christmas or whatever the colors. Are. Oh yeah, the ones yeah. And so that's what I I do have those for my I put in my landscaping lights. They're mm-hmm. all LED, and you can um, there's some cr- kind of crappy app I forget what it's called something Life something, mm-hmm. and it. It works off of Wi-Fi. So is, is it Wi-Fi? I can't remember now. I think it is because they have that. The lights have to be close enough. They have to have good enough Wi-Fi signal. Mm. Um, and I guess they connect your Wi-Fi, but I don't remember giving them a password or anything. So I'm not sure how that, how that would work. Yeah, I don't know either. But yeah, so I can change them. And then, and then the ones that plug into like my actual like light fixtures, um, those are, I, I had forgotten, but I have a bunch of, Philips Hue lights that I hadn't ever put up at the new house. And so I put, I put them in those outside ones so I can change them to whatever color. Those are pricey. They are pricey. That's why I, I got them. I got them as a gift, like one Christmas, I think, um, like a starter pack and like three bulbs in it. And the, I think there's like a little controller thing that you have to hook up to your network. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty nice though. I think I'm just going to buy a bunch of RGB keyboards and, take them apart and just fly. (laughs) (laughs) That might be a pretty economical economical way. Oh, there's got to be a way. Or like get on, what's like um, these these, like Hong Kong based sites. Is AliExpress, is that one of them? I Um, think so, yeah. Because it's just so cheap. But Mm -hmm. it takes like a, it'll take a month to ship. Or maybe even more with um, with this freaking ship blockade. Yeah, it'll be sitting out in the ocean. (laughs) Yes. 
hovering off the coast of Sam or uh, Long Beach or whatever for a yeah, month, something like that. Uh, yeah, we had a good Halloween. We had like the day before Halloween, which is on which is Saturday. We had because we do have like an annual little block, like that area of our neighborhood. We always have like a block party type of thing, and so we did that Saturday night. It was fun. Do you uh, check your kids' candy? No, we no. do. That's too much work. No, we do. I'm a bad parent. Well, and, and it's in, it's especially important this year because you know, in the past you had to check your kids' candy because idiots were putting needles and stuff supposedly. Uh, that's putting needles uh, in them. But now there's a there's a even better reason to check your kids' candy, and that's the expiration date. Because what I think happened last year is nobody came around for Halloween, and so they just put the candy oh, in yeah. the cupboard. Yeah. And then this year they took it out because there's a lot of you know stale candy. That shit doesn't go bad though. Some of it's pretty bad. Well, some some of the um. Our, my kids got some Snickers that were Christmas Snickers. <laughs> <laughs> I think we got like a Christmas tree uh, Reese's thing. <laughs> like, so that's, well, those are at least 10 months old at this point. So we're all trying to read serial numbers on these candy things. And a lot of them are individual packs. So they don't have any expiration date. They don't have any dates on them at all. So we're trying to like parse apart, parse apart like any kind of serial mm-hmm. number that might be on it, trying to figure it out. But, you know, yeah. It came down to a taste test. You take one bite. It's either good or it's not, and toss it if it's not. Yep. But now we don't check candy. I check for razor blades and everything, you know? Yep. And don't I won't let them eat homemade stuff, though. Really? I'm, I'm not a fan of people. Unless I, like, I know you, like, you're my neighbor, and you're like, oh, here, here's this thing for you that I made for yeah. you. That's fine. But I don't like going to strangers' houses and then giving me homemade stuff. I just, I want it sealed and packaged and, and, and tied to a company that I can sue if something's wrong with it. Yeah. I remember like the people would make like popcorn balls and mm-hmm. um, I don't know candied I, apples. And, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like kids don't even really want those, do they? You know, surprisingly, uh, no, they don't. But surprisingly, when I was a kid, I wanted chocolate. Oh, like yeah. I wanted chocolate. But kid, yeah. I, we had we had um, two bowls. One that had the chocolate and the nuts. Yeah. So we had, I would tell kids, you know, this one has the nuts. Yep. This one has the no nuts. <laughs> and. Uh, they always went for that the no nut stuff because it had like the the sour patches and the lollipops and all that. They all went for that. They basically ignored the chocolate stuff. That's crazy. I, I I'm only interested in the chocolate these days. Yeah, my kids are mostly interested in the the other the non nut, mostly the sugary stuff. Yeah, my I kids. I think when you're younger, that's what it is. Oh, they they just go for the straight sugar stuff, and that stuff grosses me out. They like the sour stuff too. The sour stuff. Isn't that funny? Kids like the sour, but they don't like bitter. And adults no. like bitter but not really big on sour. I guess I have to say I like sour since I drink sour beers. Maybe that, you know, I'm like, I, I do like sour. And I, I'm like cooking wise, I'm very tuned into acidity of food. And so I'll mm-hmm. usually go a little bit on more on the acidic side. I like, I like things acidic. I like them salty. So I've gotten more into acidity and, and a little bit of the sour only because I've allowed my foods to get fattier, mm-hmm. which yeah. kind of helps kind of balance that out. Yeah. You know, before when, when the government told us that you should not be eating fatty foods and it should all be lean, <laughs> you're adding s- sugary sauces yeah, yeah. to it. To and the government's it always better. right, so just make sure you do whatever yeah. they tell you, John. Yeah, and they always know. Anyway, so yeah, I've, I've kind of learned to kind of, not learned, but I, I've gravitated towards more of the vinegar-based sauces and things for, for like yeah. the barbecue that I've started experimenting with. Yep. Oh, I love, yeah, like a tangy barbecue sauce yeah. that when you use like... Uh, Apple cider vinegar for that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Hey, speaking of that, by the way, I just have to say this. We, I don't know that we have a, this is going to be a very highly topical show. <laughs> I, it's, I haven't prepared much and I'm not really in the super in the mood to talk about enterprise software that much right now. <laughs> um, but 
So just continuing on this. Um, have you had Alabama white sauce? Is that what it's called? I've heard of it, but I haven't had it. I'm, I'm going to send you a link to, I saw a YouTube the other day. Some people were saying that it was actually um, a, a good recipe, but it's, 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 a, it's, like a, it's almost mayo based, but it's got like mm-hmm. Worcestershire sauce and um, uh, what's that spicy root stuff? Uh, Wasabi? N- yeah, but what's that made out of? The, horseradish? Yeah, yeah, it has horseradish and some other stuff and it's, got, it's kind of kicked up, but it mm-hmm. is a mayonnaise based sauce, but and you can put it on all kinds of stuff, but people are just raving about it. I've never really had it, so I'm, I'm going to try that. I'll, I might smoke some chickens this weekend, actually, because I've been doing a lot of I've done, I've done a lot of brisket and ribs, and that's like, those are kind of my go tos, and I, I love them. Don't get me wrong, but like I'm kind mm-hmm. of like, yeah, what can I do different? Yeah, but um, chickens always turn out good. Yeah, my family doesn't, or my kids don't really like chicken unless it's fried. That's true. I do like I do like some fried chicken. Um, <laughs> But no, I, I can I can get some pretty good. Ch- the thing, the trick is, is um, at least on my smoker because my smoker's meant to be like around two fifty degrees Fahrenheit, which I don't know what that is in Celsius. I don't know what is that one hundred and twenty maybe one ten one twenty. I don't know. Um, but with chicken, you really got to go a lot higher than that. Ideally, I think close to three fifty, or else the skin doesn't get crispy. It just is like this rubbery mess. Um, yeah. And it and it won't mess up cooking the meat at all to cook that that high. So I just have to like I just open everything. I just put a big old load of charcoal, light it all, and open up all the vents and just let just it let, let it rip. Yeah, yeah, let it rip. And they, they cook pretty fast too. But man, they're it's so good. Especially if you brine it. I think that's the key. You have to brine the chicken. You can do a dry brine and just coat it with salt if you want to the day like uh, maybe the day before. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, you can do like a wet brine. I don't know. You got to find bags for that though. Yeah, actually, I think most of uh, most chickens you can fit in a one gallon bag, like just a if you have Ziploc one, one gallon bags. Yeah, I think so. They're they're not that chickens unless, not that unless big. they've been roided up. That's true. They, About the size. Of I know some of those. I was actually are, surprised how small wild turkeys are compared to the ones we get in the grocery stores around um, the the whole butterballs. Man, those things those things are roided up. Oh my god, those are giant. I mean, because I've seen. I saw wild turkeys many times this summer. I mean, we were at my mom's in Florida, and she's got just wild turkeys running all across her yard. And they aren't a tenth of the size of the turkeys mm-hmm. that I see in the grocery store. <laughs> of course, they're also fending for themselves. You know, yeah. they're not just being fattened up. But yeah, yeah, turkeys aren't supposed to be that big. <laughs> no. <laughs> Speaking of, I, I hear we've got a massive turkey shortage this year, as with everything else. And turkeys are going to be like three times more expensive than they normally are. I think it just shows how how much of our food and our resources come from other places, whether it's a distant I think state. No, I think they're here. Well, maybe a distant state. Yeah, I, I, we've got we've got um, distribution problems, not just from the ocean, but right. also just interstate travel with uh, just the shortage of drivers and everything. Yep. I mean, because I think most of these turkeys, like you know, the big brands like Sanderson and Butterball, and these, I mean, they're they they start um, slaughtering and freezing these turkeys i think months before thanksgiving the start they build up like that just that cold supply and yeah um and if that's all just behind because they just they can't get the trucks and there's the drivers are behind and just all this stuff then yeah i mean we're they're just not going to be they're not going to be able to build up that supply going into the holidays they normally can yeah so i don't know if you guys do you guys ever order turkeys or do you just go like a bogey boat you don't do turkey turkey. that's right yeah we usually will order one because we'll, um, we started a few years ago, we started doing, actually it's been many years, but um, like some kind of more local, but also like um, one of these just 
older like varieties or whatever they call them. Mm-hmm. Maybe heirloom. I'm not sure what exactly what it is. Sounds right. But they're um, also organically. So I don't know if they just eat bugs and shit or what. But um, <laughs> they probably, probably just probably what it is. I don't know. Probably get some grain, but like no hormones and all that kind of crap. But we always ha- we always have to order those, and I, I, just, I, just rem- I, re- I need to remind my wife to order that early this year because I think they're going to sell out. Early. If not already, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Anyway, well, I wonder because I, I I can segue. Oh, hang, to, hang on, John. Hang on. Go ahead, Salesforce. Okay, okay. go ahead. <laughs> we could we could try to make this about Salesforce, but I did kind of want to talk about retail in general and online retail since it's it 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 is a Salesforce topic, so we can we can make that justification. But, yeah, uh, Commerce Cloud. Uh, yeah, there you go. Customer service. There, yep. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Chatbots. There we go. But I ha- I have kind of been developing this this theory with just buying direct and you know the fall of retail, the rise of Amazon, and what I see to be the fall of Amazon as well. Ooh, the fall of Amazon. I mean it's it's not gonna it's not gonna be as dramatic as they're just gonna go away. But I think I think people. Hang on. <laughs> the fall of Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> I I think people are falling out of love with the Amazon experience. Uh, it's it's certainly not the cheapest like it used to be, which is which is one thing that kept kept it going. Um, I I see myself gravitating more towards direct buying with with people online. Yep. Um, I, I think I think we're all spoiled to the point that retail retail stores and window shopping is probably not going to come back to the extent that it was. Um, only I think if only just for super high end stuff. Like yeah. I can tell you, I mean, when I, when I'm walking through like legacy West, mm-hmm. you know, they've got the Chanel store and the, um, the Louis store and whatever. And those, those seem to not be affected. I know they sell, I know they, I know they sell a ton of those online, but people still go into those stores and walk out with a $3,000 purse all the time. Yeah. I think it's going to, I think it's still going to exist for, for high end brands that know how to manage their brand really well. I think uh, William Sonoma is a good example of that. Yeah. Yeah. Their store presence is still really strong. You can go in there and just not have room to move around. Yep. Um they they curate the stuff that they have in their store really well. Um to the point where you don't feel like you went in there and wasted your time. There's there's always something in there that you're interested in. Uh and then their online presence and their, you know, their marketing and stuff is is really good. I mean they they send you coupons all the time. They send you things you're interested in all the time. It's just it's just one of those experiences that I think they've managed really well. Um, but you look at Amazon and the way they're they're selling things. They're 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 becoming these this kind of flea market type type site where you used to think you were buying from Amazon and getting from Amazon Amazon distribution. But ninety percent of the time, if you're not careful, you're buying direct from someone else who's yep. as shady as crap, and that's why you get things that are refurbs or have been opened or are broken and things like that because you're not getting it from Amazon. So I already have a list of a categories of things that I won't buy on Amazon anymore because I've gotten too many counterfeits. Mm-hmm. An example, like these, actually these socks, just plain old Hanes socks, right? Yeah. Um, when I buy those on Amazon now, they, like I, a couple months ago, I bought a pack of these from Amazon and they, they were about, I literally weighed them half the weight. The socks were half the weight of my old socks which mm-hmm. certainly have lost a lot of cotton since I bought them. Yeah. And and they just look different. The the printing was shitty. I'm like these are these are totally counterfeit. Well, they I actually have something to say about that. It might not be counterfeit. What I've noticed is happening is the same thing that that Walmart and all these big chains do. They get their own SKUs from manufacturers. They tell these manufacturers, "We want to sell this product. We want to meet a certain price point." This is this is the Walmart. And thing. they do what yeah. they need to do to meet that price point, yeah. which means they get their own skew. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, 
that's how, I mean, there's, there's many stories, but one of the famous ones is how Walmart um, basically drove Levi's out of business. Mm. Or Levi, what's this? Levi Strauss, I guess is the name of the company. Yeah. Blue jeans or pants, whatever. And then they, and then, I, I mean, I feel like, I wouldn't be surprised if Walmart owns Levi's at, at this point because they drove them out of business. Um, and then, yeah, they were making, they were, the jeans that you would get at Walmart were different, different SKUs. Because they were just going for price point, you know? And, you know, that's Walmart's thing. I mean, have you ever been into Walmart recently? No. It's, I, I try it's to amazing. It. I mean, it's amazing how cheap stuff is. It's like, wow, this is, is kind of great. It's very cheap. I mean, you can mm-hmm. buy a giant thing of pickles for like $2. or It's like, wow. Um, I really just don't. I don't enjoy the shopping experience. Oh, I don't Walmart. either. I don't, either. <laughs> I don't understand the layout. I don't understand where things are positioned and why. It's always and depressing, and their shelf the the care the shelving. It, I guess it just depends on where you where you shop, but the the one that's near me, which is in Louisville, um, the shelves are atrocious. There's stuff everywhere. There's stuff where it's not supposed to be. It's it's not front facing very well. I mean, yeah. it's just. Yeah. And I used to work at Walmart. <laughs> yeah. No, it, like I said, it, it's kind of depressing, but. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the Amazon thing. Uh, there's just there's things I just won't buy from them anymore. Um. I actually trust Walmart way more when it's speaking of Walmart when it comes to that. So I, about a year or two ago, I created an account on walmart.com mm-hmm. because I, I felt and I wanted to, I don't know if I was looking for anything specific, but I just, I was like, I want to start diversifying where I buy. Cause I just buy, I don't yeah. like this thing. I, I cannot support Amazon just taking over the world and putting everyone out of business. Yeah. Um, so I need to do my little part, even though it probably will have no effect. So I started an, I started a Walmart account and, I, I haven't signed. They have their own little version of Prime. They have their own little membership. It's like I don't know how mm-hmm. much it is ten or twenty or fifty bucks a year or something like that. And and you get kind of free shipping on everything. I didn't sign up for that, but I do. There's a lot of things though. Now that I go, I go to Walmart first for, and I'll and, and if you if your order is like at least twenty or thirty or I don't know, maybe it's fifty bucks, you, you get free shipping anyway. And it's their, I mean, their logistics have really, I would say, caught up quite a bit. So you usually get it the next day. Sometimes it's the same day. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, they've got it figured out. So they're shipping from like some close distribution center or maybe it's even from, I don't know if they're going to stores to pick stuff up and ship them. Yeah. But yeah, we just, I don't know. And the thing with Amazon, I think one reason why they really won is because you can get so much stuff there. And also it's one, it's one login. Everyone has, and they're always logged into Amazon, whether it's on their right. phone or their computer. And it's why have 50 different logins to all these and go direct to all these vendors like you were just talking about when I can just buy it all through Amazon. And that, that's the story. Because that's most the of those vendors want. have Amazon stores on Amazon and you can kind of buy pseudo direct from your supply, from the vendor through Amazon, although Amazon's taking their cut. That's mm-hmm. what we don't see. No, we, should, we're seeing it now. You, um, you are? I, in fact, one of the, one of the more, more recent things I bought direct was because... Um, the price point was different. It was at least ten dollars more on Amazon than it was going direct. Now I didn't. I got free shipping, but I had to wait for it. And I think that's the other problem with with Amazon and all these other kind of online experience. These big big shops is that they they're able to get it to you faster. You don't have to wait, which kind of offsets the argument of you know I I want to go to a store because I want to get it immediately. I want to go to a store because I don't have to pay shipping. Well, Amazon and WalMarts and all this have overcome this by making shipping a non-issue and with their distribution centers centers making that immediate instant gratification of buying something available to you um but i think just in general i think for the good of our economy the good of of for people to be able to own and manage their own shops and not have these big giant corporations that are deciding what to do for us 
Um, I think we need to learn to be a little bit more patient as individuals, as consumers. This so, goes to back buy to, something, research it, go direct, and wait for it. This goes back to, and I hate to <clears throat> give this any credibility. It's not that it doesn't deserve any. I just think it, it sometimes gets too much credibility because I think it's a flawed theory. But Ben Thompson's um, from Stratechery, his, mm-hmm. uh, what's it called? Aggregation. Aggregation theory, I think, is what it is. I mean, that's what Amazon is doing. It's, I, I, I think I have to go, read back, go back and read that theory again. But I think the theory of aggregation theory is that you have like this giant entity like Amazon mm-hmm. that is, it's not only is it aggregating, like so stores, I don't know, it's like it's aggregating both sides. It's aggregating all these suppliers and it's aggregating all this demand. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's creating this one funnel point, which is Amazon, right. through which all this commerce happens. And I mean, in some ways, it's like, well, isn't that what a store is? I mean, a store has all these suppliers and they bring up, but I don't know. So, anyway, I, I forget the details, but, but it just reminds me. I feel like this is something I like my inner Ben Thompson is, is tingling right now when we talk about this. <laughs> so, that's kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I do kind of miss that, that I'm not one that likes to go out and shop, but I know people who do, like my wife and my daughter. It's kind of like their bonding experience to kind of go out and do some shopping and try some things on and that kind of it's stuff. It's fun. I mean, for I mean, I don't like shopping, but I don't like shopping. But there's a few things that I do like to go see in person. I like to go to the Lego store. I like yeah. to go to the Apple store. Yeah, I like yeah. to go to these shops. I used to like to go to Radio Shack and just oh, yeah, nerd me out. Too. I mean, me too. It's just th- those experiences are, are fun, but they're kind of gone now because because of these bigger shops, and it's it's kind of a shame. Yeah. Um, because not because that that fed so much the economy. You'd go out and shop, and then you'd you'd go and get something to eat or go get a coffee or something. You know, these are all things that kind of drove and contributed to the economy. Is the fact that you were out doing stuff instead of sitting in front of a computer buying what you need and then moving on to something else. So what's causing this though? What is, is it? Is it that Amazon is just maybe they're just providing the best value? I mean, you can hang, you can. It's super easy to find almost anything you want, and generally it's cheap. It's it's gonna be the cheapest or cheap enough right or convenient um, enough convenient that you enough. Don't care and about that's the other thing it's like a that, i mean their amazon's logistics game is the best in the business i mean what they're doing now is just insane mm-hmm. the distribution centers are everywhere and they have their own fleets of trucks their own fleets of jets um and they're they've got all the other logistics companies you know at their beck and call mm-hmm so don't they deserve don't they deserve the their success or or have they or or, or have they exploited some bug in the human brain oh that's a, that's an interesting thought it, it's possible that they have exploited that i don't i don't begrudge them their success cuz that was hard earned it was hard earned to pull consumers away from retail um but once they had it they had it and I think they've gotten to a size and they've gotten to a point where it's, it's not, it's, it's too much of a funnel. It's almost like they're too big to fail at this point. And I don't like creating parts of our economy that are too big to fail because it's just dangerous. We need to, we need diversity we need, yeah. you know, it, I, I, I enjoy diversity. You know, I, I think we should have diversity in our energy uh, production. I think we should have diversity in our in our vehicles and the things that we use. I don't think it, there's one thing that fits everything or all situations or everyone. I think it should be diverse. And I think that it's that diverse that will create enough of a balance that we'll be okay. Yeah. <clears throat> and, the th- and, and you know, I mean, Amazon definitely is too big to fail, but I don't I don't think they can fail. Is the, is the other side of that? What worries me more is just the the health. It's not a healthy 
competitive marketplace. When Amazon is the runaway leader, and there's, I mean, what's the what's the runner up to Amazon right now? There's Target, there, not even close. I mean, not even <laughs> remotely close, right? Yeah. I mean, Walmart's trying to be. I mean, they bought <clears throat> what was it? Jet. You remember that? Was it Jet.com or? And that, and I don't even know if you see the Jet brand anymore. So Jet, or maybe Walmart started Jet, but that was going to be the um, that was Walmart's answer to Amazon. Mm. You know. Just the web experience or the shopping experience, having some kind of like membership deal where you get free shipping all the time, you know, really good. I mean, if anyone can do the logistics, Amazon can because they've got warehouses everywhere. So yeah. just good logistics, you know, next day shipping, all that kind of stuff. Um, they're they're the best thing that's a runner up to Amazon, and I don't even think Walmart's anywhere close. Yeah. So that's that's the thing that concerns me most because once they truly have stamped stomped out stamped out what's the right how would you stamp something out or do you stomp it out? That's a good point. I think we say stamped out, but I think stomped out is the hmm okay the proper way to say. So that. once you have stomped out all of the competition, well now, now there's there's nothing to stop you from. I mean, first of all, you own all politicians. You've got too much money. Mm -hmm. You're way too. I mean, you are too big to fail, um, which is a problem. It's a sickness. Um, you don't have to compete anymore on price, or really, right? No one can. Which I think we see. No one can that, start yeah. a business to compete with you. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> so that's and that's why I always, you know, I mean, for example, like I'm I tend to live the Apple lifestyle, right? But I love that Android is there, and I love mm -hmm. that they make really good products, and that Alphabet, I guess, is what we call them now, is is um, a worthy competitor. You know, I love it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I want Android to kick ass. I, w I want Windows to be better. Yeah. I, I, I wish mean, it's, 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 it's the story of, of all consumerism think, is competition is yeah, good. No, I, not only does it not only does it drive and protect pricing, but it also drives innovation because you've got to do better than the other guy. You have to keep people honest. They people even everyone needs to compete. It needs to be competitive. Mm -hmm. That's that's how we get. That's how we maximize value. I mean, that's how you know. Just over. The, I mean, look at just the industrial revolution and 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 um, just marketplace or market capitalism. Mm -hmm. It has pulled the almost the you know hundreds of millions of people out of poverty and star starvation and you know that's I don't want to regress on that and just live in this like oligopical situation. Is that a, is that a word? I use too many big words know, for Friday morning. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, this is this is kind of my sweet spot. It's like noon. I've had I'm like two or three cups of coffee. It doesn't this is kind of peak Jeremy right now? Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> Because I'm going to switch from coffee to alcohol. It's here at some point, and it's it's just all downhill. <laughs> anyway, well, we can uh, two, we can two 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 uh, Salesforce developers sitting around talking about economics. That's uh, well, I can that, get us back on the Salesforce bandwagon. What's the opposite? Where this is like the worst podcast in the world. <laughs> The worst Salesforce podcast. Yes. In the world. We never build ourselves a Salesforce podcast. We only just do I that mean, for SEO. It's literally in the title of our podcast. But we only did that for SEO. <laughs> yeah, that's true. As long <laughs> well, as we did it. Yeah, we'll sell out for SEO because uh, we make so much money on, you know, we got to we gotta keep those SEO well, bucks coming in. was to <laughs> get Rogan money here, but yeah, it wasn't. never happened. <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> I need to shave my head and start doing MMA. Yeah. Hey, exactly. Take some horse dewormers. Get that, get that tea count up, <laughs> right? <laughs> horse dewormers. Start hunting with a bow, you know. Eat my meat. Well, so another topic I had, if we're going to go Salesforce, and we, I'll let you choose. We can either talk about unit testing and functional testing, or we can talk about Benioff and, and planting trees. Um, I mean, let's let's start with testing, I guess. Okay. It's a little bit more uh, right. intense. Uh, why? Because um, 
Because I'm about to self-deprecate here all over myself. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) It came out and then I had to finish that sentence that way. I don't know why. (laughs) It was not planned that way. Uh, No, so so, uh, the story is that recently I've been having to task switch a lot. Oh, sorry. And I've had to jump from one project to another and do a lot of different things. Uh, so that means that I'm short on time and I'm trying to meet all these deadlines. So what ends up happening to my own detriment is that I finished my unit testing, which has not been the strongest as of late. I'm setting up data and everything, um, but I'm setting up data in a very, I'm not trying to cover all the scenarios that I probably should, or I'm not trying to let the system do what it does to in order to see what happens. I'm just forcing it into a state and saying, did all my code run? Yes. Okay, we're good. Promote that up to UAT for testing. Okay. Um, the, what I've been lacking of doing lately is functional testing. When I have time and, and, and I have all the time and the budget in the world, I can write my code, write, write code, sorry, mm-hmm. I'm trying to say my, <clears throat> I can write code, I can write the tests, and then I can do functional tests in my dev environment before I put it up to UAT for our team to test. Uh, and then after that, the client test. <clears throat> but because of, laziness and lack of time and all the other excuses I can think of at this point in time, <laughs> I've been skipping functional testing. And it's been horrible for me because my amount of bugs have increased. The amount of feedback that I'm getting back has increased. And all it's done is put me further behind because now I have all these other urgent, well, not they're not urgent, but all these other new things bumping in front of things that I've already planned for the week. Okay. So that's my story. Yeah. I, um, well, let's, okay, just, I feel like we always have to, we need to do this, just especially for the context of, you know, the work that you've been doing, this testing you've been doing, define for us what a unit test, what you consider a unit test to be. Uh, I just see it more as the automated testing of the code that have, that it's been written. So if I write it, if I write it, and that's the other problem, I'm having a hard time with, um, breaking up the code in a logical way. I have these massive requirements that need to do a lot of different things. And when I try to modularize them, if I can say that word, I feel like I'm sacrificing performance to make it modular. So we use TDD a lot, and a lot of this is automation, just just to narrow this conversation down. And I could have three three trigger handler records, and, and my thought is, that's granular, that's modular, and you can selectively turn one of those three or all of them off at mm-hmm. any point in time. Yeah. That's great, right? Right. Well, <clears throat> yes, but these are all triggering off of the same record. They're all looking at the same data. They all kind of have to query a lot of data in order to make a decision. And there's a lot of overlap in the Venn diagram of that. And so in my, in, and when I look at it, I'm like, well, yeah, I made it so that you could toggle things off and on, but I've also made it very inefficient. Now it's doing three times the amount of queries that it has to because I made three different trigger handler records for this. Um, and that explodes my tests because now my, my tests have to account for all those three initiations, all those three different insert before after update scenarios. And so I, because of that, I have less time to even write other scenarios or more, more coverage type scenarios. Okay. So it ends up just being a race of, okay, just set up some data copy and paste that setup data into this other test class mm-hmm. and then you know r- write my scenarios and run it and and then just say okay i ran it the test pass i got good coverage here you go um but there's a difference between 
the automated test validating the code is doing what it's supposed to do and touching everything and the results that it actually produces, what the expected outcome is from a user perspective. Yeah. And what you see. Okay. So to me, that I mean, those don't sound like unit tests. Unit tests. Now, in the Salesforce space, I think is what we—that's what people call what unit call tests. Yeah. But they're—I mean, they're—I mean, as soon as you talk about records and querying and all that kind of stuff, I mean, that's we are not in unit test land anymore. That's we're we're setting up trend. That's I mean, those are involved database transactions and certainly databases. And um, well, I have tried to mitigate so, that too as well by abstracting away the logic into a into a class that does a certain thing and that has its advantages um, for one if i do it right i can always run that logic against any record if i just say here's a record id now tell me what you think needs to be done and i can just kind of spit that out to a log and analyze it even with a production example because i'm not technically incurring any dml or anything mm-hmm. like that so that has its advantages in doing that but ultimately i end up leaving a gap somewhere because i'm so focused so much on testing that class that i don't spend enough time on understanding all the different inputs, all the different ways users, users interact with the system mm-hmm. that puts the system in a state that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so I, again, I think of those as, as, I guess I would consider them functional tests, but they, I, I suppose there still could be a, a more encompassing um, end-to-end test. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Well, I see, I see unit tests as being the automated tests, and I see functional tests as actively going in and point-and-clicking and verifying the things that the system does what it's supposed to do. So actually using the system to... Tri- to so manual, you're talking about... This manual. Man- oh, okay. I'm talking about manual testing when okay. I think functional testing. And maybe that's, that's, maybe that's the wrong terminology, but in my head, that's what I see. I see, in the Salesforce world, I see unit testing as the automated tests, and I see functional testing as the physical manual test. Okay. That's an interesting... I, I feel like that's a different axis on, upon which to like, think about the different types of tests. It feels that way at times, yeah. Because I mean, I think I think if you you know look at official definitions of these things or pull out the what's the X unit testing patterns book, which by the way, great book. It's it's huge, but man, and I read it just forever ago. Probably should probably should dust that thing off again. Um, I should probably at least read it once. It's <laughs> it is so good because it teaches you um, all the all the gotchas on tests. I mean, there's so ways to make so many ways to make you know brittle tests and and non-repeatable tests and all kinds of stuff. And it's just like ways to think. But it also, of course, like sets pretty good definitions for what do, what do we call these different types of tests? Mm-hmm. You know. But I think in general, like I think unit tests. Man, I hope I don't sound as weird as what I'm hearing myself right now. By the way, it just sounds so weird to me. I don't know if it's these. I don't know if it's my. Is it my headphones? It just sounds so strange. Anyway, uh, I don't know if I'm we're not wearing them right. I sound okay. Yeah, sound normal? <laughs> Maybe they are. Are they? No, I'm kidding. No, I don't know. It just it's these. I don't you know. I don't know. Okay, but um, unit tests, functional tests, integration tests. To me, those are the big three categories, and they're all I assume to be automated. None of those are mm. manual tests. Well, now, how do you feel about now? You manual said- testing. If, if we if we carve out automated testing versus manual testing, I mean, how do you feel about that being a focus, manual testing? So I, I think we're just, you know, if we're being pragmatic and realistic, um, I think you have to have manual testing for most of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, now, do you think that's the developer that wrote it, their job to to do some of that manual testing, knowing that we have layers of other people testing it before the client tests? I mean, I... 
it's hard. I, I feel like in any of this kind of stuff, it's hard to make blanket statements that yeah. every developer should always, you know, do this kind of testing. It kind of just depends. But I mean, in general, yeah, if I'm building something that, you know, there is some UI part to it, or or there's a UI that's going to feed into the mm-hmm. maybe some trigger handlers and things I'm writing. I mean, it's not a bad idea. Yeah, get in the UI and create some records and just make sure that you know you're not missing something or that it's working the way that you would expect it. Even even though. You know, it wasn't necessarily your task to set up the page layouts and those kinds of, kind of things. It's still still kind of a good idea. Um, now, does that mean that the other other people who play different roles on the project, should, you know, you're you're believing them of that responsibility? No, not at all. I mean, it's it's. Right. I think it's you know, a lot of, a lot of these things. I mean, you need to have multiple sets of eyeballs on these things. Yeah, agree. because people are coming to it from different perspectives. I mean, I if I'm the one who created or coded the thing up, I mean, I'm so biased by how I think it's supposed to work. I'm going to test it in a certain way. That's yeah. probably, you know, whereas someone who's like a good tester or someone who's coming from a, a different perspective, like they don't know how it's written and how it's implemented, but they, they have a good idea of what the business requirement is. They're going to test it in a completely different way. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're more, so they're going to be more likely to find problems that I wouldn't find. And I think that's how I got myself into the situation. I relied heavily on the automated tests to the point where I was like, I think this is good. I think I've set up enough scenarios. I think I've set up enough data. Even though I admittedly didn't have enough time to say that, I said that to myself and pushed it up and, and said, this is ready for testing. Um, but the reason I'm questioning that methodology is because I feel like I'm getting a lot of feedback on very basic things not working. Uh, and it, it's, it, it's a lot of times it's like a null pointer exception. Like, oh, I wasn't expecting that to be null. Yep. That happens. It's just data stuff, you know. It's not. It's not like the logic is completely wrong. I'm not saying that I'm writing really bad code. I'm just saying there's things like I wasn't expecting that to be blank, or I expected that to be this, not that. Yep. And you know, we're still in a situation where you know, Apex is a language that doesn't doesn't do anything to help you with, um, you know, null uh, nullability, immutability. It's just it's nulls everywhere, man. And you have to just. Unfortunately, it makes your code suck in a way because you have to just you have to assume everything i mean you pretty much have to do assume everything could be null um it's uh, yeah which i do i mean i have yeah the the problem with trying to resolve that outside of the language is you you have to be careful of when to protect from the null and when to let the null happen because you end up hiding yourself from a lot of bugs too like i have a ton of code that i call defensive defensive code or defensive programming where I gracefully fail from null or I gracefully provide empty strings or I gracefully just skip over things when I see a null. Um, I don't throw errors. And I think sometimes to a detriment uh, because I think I'm missing bugs because it just fails gracefully. Yeah. This also kind of, we're starting, we're kind of bumping into this territory of when you, when you look at, how data is going to be processed through some process and you're like okay it doesn't it doesn't make sense that this would ever be null like if this is null then then we shouldn't even be running these processes because it doesn't make sense mm-hmm. and then and that bubbles back to well that should just be a required field then if it never makes sense for it not for it to be null then it should be a required well let's go to basically as close to the database as we can get should be a non-null field or a non-null column, right? That's how you mm-hmm. would think of that. And then that's when you're bumping up against the, well, if we make all the stuff required, then people aren't going to use the system. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, but if they use the system in a half-assed way, it's going to give us all this bad results or, or bug. I mean, 
best case scenario is actually just null pointer exceptions that stops them. Worst case scenario is shit goes through and you're not getting, you're, you're now your system's in an undefined state with bad data. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because you just ignored null stuff or, you know, I don't know. I mean. Yeah. And I run, I run this all the time with integrations. I'm like, okay, so you, you want to push this kind of data from this system up to over to this system. Okay, and this other system, it requires certain things, certain, you know, fields to be populated, basically. Um, and if you're saying that, like, every time someone enters a record on, on the system A, um, that we want, always want that record to be pushed to system B, then sh shouldn't, in system A, we enforce system B's nullability requirements? Yeah, and it doesn't always end up that but way. But they don't want to do that. No, they don't. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> it, and, and that's that's part of the challenge as well, is is uh, clients have very spaghetti-like business rule logic to where, you know, if you if it's Tuesday in the middle of a of a month and the sky is blue but there's only one cloud, then this is required. But mm. if oh, Joe okay. showed up to work with tennis shoes, then it's not required. So conditional, you know, just just uh, yeah, types yeah. of conditions yeah. that right. that you know, it, it makes it difficult to just flip the switch and say this is required at the database level or this is required at the layout level because they, they just have right, these requirements right. and well, which means that technically the system can be in that state and I, I struggle with this a lot a lot of times too I say I say these words to people I say from an operational perspective you can manage that from a system perspective it has no clue it's just going to it's going to try to do what it does what it does well th this is something else and I feel like you know people who aren't the developers don't quite understand understand this maybe but um, I get that a lot. It's like, oh, well, I made it required at the, at the page layout. And I'm like, okay. I mean, that, so that'll work for that page layout. Um, but if we know that we never want null in this field, why don't we just make the field not null? Mm -hmm. So that someone can't, with another page layout down, in, down the road, right? When they add another page layout or someone imports some data via the data loader or there's some integration that brings data in. Like, Th all those different things can bypass that page layout restriction. Sure. So let's just make it required at the database, or again, the closest we can get to the database. Right. Let's make it required at the lowest level possible, so that you can't get records in there that are invalid records. Yeah. And uh, there's there's some pushback to that too, and I'm, I don't understand that pushback. I, actually, I think I know what it is. It's they know if they go and set that field to null at the database level, that any records that are already in the system, they're they. What, how does that work? If you if you if you try to save it, if you try if it already exists in that state, and when you try to save it again after that requirement's been put in, it'll throw an error. Oh, that's interesting. So you can make a field on an existing object. You can say this. What is it? What does Salesforce call it? Requires a value or always require a value? Something like something that. Like that yeah. yeah, basically non-null. Make it non-null. It doesn't go through and check all existing records to make sure that they all have a value before it lets you complete that. No, I don't blame them. That, that'd be insane. And it's not insane. It because is. I feel like, no, I feel like that's a constraint. And a constraints should always be satisfied. I, I don't like the fact that I can go into an object and look at a field and the field says it's not null. To me, I'm think, I'm like, oh, oh, great. All this data is it's going to have value in that field. But you're saying, no, it, it might not. It might not, yeah. I don't like that. I, 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 like I know that. from a system perspective, you don't like it, but the alternative is because no you have all nope. this legacy data without a field populated. What do you put in there? Dummy data? You, you know what? That's, but that's, that's not the database's problem. And this is also why there's no 
uh, there's no database in the world that lets you do this. Mm. So why would Salesforce let you do that? Other maybe than, I'm wrong. Maybe Salesforce doesn't let you do that. I'm, I'm pretty sure it does. I, th- I think it does. So this is, I'm wondering if this is one of the things that when you, when you set it to not null and you save, that it, you know, some of these things that says, hey, we're, we're making this change in the background and we'll email you when it's done or whatever. It doesn't do cases. that. I don't think this is one of those cases. Mm. I think it just starts the constraint at that point moving forward. Ooh, boy, that's not good. I think that's what it does. Yeah. I mean, obviously. I mean, I see your point of it, why so it's If not that's good. true, if that's true, then the, the, the reason that they did, made that decision is because it's easier and ev- everything's got to be easy on Salesforce, right? Easy. <laughs> I think it was just one of those trade-offs. I think it, it's just. It was just a design decision at some point. There was like, oh, what's the greater two evils? I mean, having, having a constraint that moving forward, everything is required. And having a bunch of, having someone just tossing dummy data into legacy fields. This uh, is really easy. This is so easy to do. <laughs> See? <laughs> Not only that, because you've updated all those records with dummy data, now you've changed all their last modified dates. So you've kind of ruined your kind of your, your audit. I don't think I don't think you've ruined your audit. I think that's exactly what you want out of your audit. You want to see that you want. I, I mean, that's that's just the audit doing its job. Maybe I'm just strawmanning it just to make my point. But uh, I just I just I can see that decision point coming up and then weighing it and going, let's go with this. Yeah, I can just see that it was just one of those decision points that just and you they picked the lesser of two evils at that time. Yeah. Easy easy is not always right. True. No, I, I can attest to that. Uh, you want to talk about Benioff? I mean, I guess. <laughs> you don't want to talk about Benioff. This this can be short. It, uh, this is more of me just kind of crapping on Benioff a little bit. And it's it's not really trying to be mean for the sake of being mean. But I think, psychologically, there's something that happens to us all, uh, even to you and I, doing this podcast for as long as we have. Uh, you, you ever know, do you know what the key to survival is? Nope. It's to always be afraid. Okay. That's why animals are skittish as... as when I say F, skittish <laughs> AF. Yeah. Because <laughs> they, they always have to be ready for something, for some predator to come and take them out. And I think um, we can apply that lesson to our daily lives. And as we get comfortable with things, as we get comfortable with things, we get less afraid of things. As we get comfortable talking on these mics, we get a little less afraid of saying something wrong. And we kind of let ourselves mm-hmm. out there more. Yep. And I had this observation when Benioff dropped the F bomb. Yeah, because he used to be very careful about what he said, and he used to be very um, kind of middle of the road with what he said. You knew what position he was, you, you knew what point he was trying to make, but he kept it very neutral, and he chose his words very carefully. Um, but as of late, he seems to be getting more and more bolder. Yeah, he is. Um, and so, not only dropping that f bomb, but in this recent recent interview with Bloomberg, uh, Benioff was quoted in saying, uh, "Every CEO." Or let's see. Mark Benioff had said a few billionaires uh, had said fellow bi- billionaires should go outside and plant a tree. Um, so, so you, Mister CEO, go, get out there, get your shovel, yeah, uh, borrow it from your your landscaper, yep. <laughs> just plant a tree. Yep. Uh, he goes on to say, until you get to net zero, I don't have a lot of conversation with you any anymore. Your your fake net zero. <laughs> well, I think to me it was just the the audacity to say that if you don't comply. With this thing I'm pushing, I'm not talking to you. And you, co- you contrast that with when he was trying to sell his 111 model. It was never of, I'm never going to talk to you. It was, I'm going to keep talking to you until you subscribe to 111. He felt passionately. He felt emboldened. He wanted to educate you. He wanted to show you the value of 111. But now, as he's gotten more comfortable, as he's lost his fear of the public, um, it's my way 
or I'm not talking to you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, you know why he does that? Why? Because he can. Yeah. Mm. But the whole net zero thing, that, that reminds me of like, uh, uh, do you remember, this is back in like when the low carb craze was, it was way before keto and all that, but there was this, they came out with this concept called net carbs. <laughs> yes, I remember. <laughs> well, well, Atkins had net net carbs too. So maybe it was. I think it was invent. I think that term was invented during that time. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> oh, actually, actually, no. Wait a minute. We got to give credit to to um, whoever came up with the celery is negative calories thing. Oh yeah, you should actually burn. Yeah, I mean that that's probably that's true, the actually. inception of the net the net calorie is that. <laughs> Whoever so, came up with yeah. that. So net carbs is, is, I think, a different concept. But it reminds me, though, because people would, I mean, there would, you'd have these people that would um, buy, like, these, you could get these, like, boxes of chocolate, or, like, the whole, just, can like, bags, big bags of candy that had no sugar. It was all sugar alcohols, which are, oddly, they're not sugar, nor are they alcohol, but they're called sugar alcohols. Um, and they would just eat all these. Well, the problem with sugar alcohols, and this is a problem, the, the concept of net anything. Like net carbs. The problem with this, you could eat a whole bag, and sure, I mean, it's not going to raise your ins- your uh, your insulin very much. You're not going to get a big blood sugar spike. But, you, but the here's the problem with those: you, your body can't digest those, but your gut bacteria can, mm. and people would end up just shitting their pants. Speaking mm. of self de- deprecating on themselves, <laughs> they would deprecate all over their all in their pants. Well, that was the same story for what was it? Olean? Is that what it was? Yes, that, that was the same. Yes, Olestra. Yeah, yeah Olean, Olestra, yeah. whatever it was. Yeah, the the they made it so that we couldn't digest this. They made some kind of vegetable oil, basically. It was like a modified vegetable oil that you, your, our bodies couldn't digest. Mm-hmm. So they just passed right on through. And so people were just, you know, having these grease bombs in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, people were, I mean, this was going on the internet. People were taking photos of their, yeah. of their end product there. <laughs> and the manufacturers are like, well, we weren't expecting to eat the whole damn bag. <laughs> people are like, that's, it's potato chips. That's what we do. <laughs> Lays with the, you can't eat just one, but you really should just eat one. Yeah. Trust us. <laughs> You can't eat. You can't just eat one bag. I guess yeah. is, what it, is what they just left that word off. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, we we it's human. I don't know if they're they're playing to our human psychology here. This idea that we can have as much as we want, but somehow negate it with something yes, else. As long as you you know pay your penance or whatever. Yeah. Like, like it like it works that way. Yeah. Who thinks it works that way? I, I, it doesn't. I, I mean, it's like it's like my, it's like uh, I don't know if you've had this, but my wife is really really loves finding discounts, and she's great with money. I will, she, I will give her that she's awesome with money, but she likes to tell me about how much she saved on something. By I'm all like, of her well, purchases. <laughs> but if you didn't buy that, you'd have all of that money. Yeah. It's like, I've, honey, you've saved us so much money. I feel like we should be rich by now. <laughs> uh, but to her credit, she doesn't go out and buy a bunch of frivolous yeah. stuff. She's not like that. Right. But that whole argument of, oh, look, I bought this, but I saved 50% on it. Yeah. Or I bought this and I got a discount on it. And yeah. it's like, well, if you'd never bought it, you'd get all of that money. <laughs> yes. Um, so if you didn't uh, consume mass amounts of energy and pollute the air, uh, you wouldn't have to net net it with, uh, yeah, with planting yeah. a tree. Well, the thing with the... Um, I actually did some looking into this one trillion tree thing, mm-hmm. this initiative that, that Salesforce is involved in. It's a, you know, it's a very broad initiative. Um, and I think, there's, I think there's some merit to it, but I mean, some of the more recent science mm-hmm. i mean true true science and it's in the you know peer peer-reviewed uh, journals um is really r- saying this is this is actually there's there's a pretty good chance that this is not a good this is not a goal we should go after um mm. and i'm not going to get into the details because i'm not a scientist but um i did read i, I kind of read the abstracts and the conclusions that's about as deep as i get on these things but yeah i mean th- this is this one trillion tree thing is is 
probably a non-goal. It's probably it's not it's not the right solution. Yeah, wh- whether it is or it isn't, it just it's it to me it just comes off as virtue signaling when these very rich, successful people try to obfuscate any impact they might have or any anything that they might be contributing to to our ecosystem or to our environment and things by saying, "Oh, well, I offset that with this." Or, yeah, I'm rich, but I gave I gave to the poor. You know, it's it's these things, these platitudes, these things that bother me the most. And I don't I don't begrudge them for being rich. I don't begrudge them for doing whatever they want with their money. Go out and buy 10 Lambos. I don't care. But don't sit there and, and stand on a stage and try to act like you're this, this beacon of morality and that we're not doing enough. That those of us who are just trying to, you know, feed our families and maybe take a nice vacation every so often, that we're not doing enough. Yeah. Um, of course, if you had just Googled like planting one trillion trees and like a lot of the stuff that comes up at the very top is, is from time.com. I <laughs> <laughs> huh, wonder who owns that. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. No clue whatsoever. Um, now, The Verge had a big, oh, this is, this is great, actually. I just found this Verge article it's in, and they're covering this. It's um, planting one trillion trees might not actually be a good idea. Um, and it's, of course, this World Economic Forum. It's their plan, I guess, to plant one trillion trees. And it says it's backed by controversial science, and it is controversial. And there's because there's a lot of science that, um, it, it, yeah, I'm just looking for like the reasons here. Um, but in this Verge article, I mean, there it's like there's got a photo of Benioff, probably. Oh yeah, it's at the World Economic Forum in Davos. Mm. Um, yeah, it just talks about like the people are misunderstanding headlines of these things. Um, but yeah, there's some downsides, um, and I, I think it's I think it's <laughs> definitely I think it's one of these things that we should, you know, we need to. Uh, I hate all these terms, the science and follow the science. Those are always usually there's no such thing as the science. That's not how that's yeah. not how science. You've already lost. That's not how science works. There is no the science. Well, I wish they would. I wish they would frame the conversation better. I, I think everyone likes to to speak in terms of of binaries. You know, plant a bunch of trees. That that that's good. But there's there's nuance to it. There's okay. Well, what kind of trees are you planting? Are they are they indigenous to the local area? Are they going to survive? Uh, who's going to maintain them? Uh, is there enough water to support that? Because we're obviously using water too. Um, there's just all these little factors that you have to factor in. It's not, and it it can't be this one thing that's going to solve everything. Yeah. But I, I, feel, I feel the same way with solar. I feel the same way with wind. I think all those things should exist, and we should diversify our energy mm-hmm. portfolio. Yep. But one is not the answer to it all. They all have their pros and cons, and they all have their impact on our environment. All the materials it takes to make that big fan blade. Have you seen them decommission those fan yeah, blades? Yeah. They take them out to a desert and they bury the suckers. Yeah. They can't recycle them. Yeah. They're just fiberglass and goo, and it's just, they can't do anything. <laughs> and then all the precious metals it takes to make solar panels, yeah. plus maintain them and keep them clean and all that kind of stuff. And, and then the mirrors. And the mirrors, I mean, how many birds have fried at the hands of a mirror? Well, that's, and this is, I mean, I know this, some of this starts getting political. I try to stay out of the politics. Um, but yeah, people sink their teeth into these ideas. Yeah. And, and then they, and maybe, and maybe at the time they do make these decisions, like when this trillion tree thing, maybe it, at that point, the best science could show us was that that might have been the best thing. Sure. Or that, you know, a certain type of energy source might be. But, you know, the science is not, there's no end point to science. Right. Yeah. Um, and I don't begrudge these things being tried out, even even with objections. Totally. I think I think yeah. you should try it out and exactly. shake it out and see what happens. 
But what I what I don't like is is these high morality people saying that's that's it. That's what we have to well, do. And they stop. They stop paying attention. They've made their decision. They've got all their press releases. They've done all the junkets and the big things in Davos. And they they stop listening to the science at that point. Well, they because, start listening to anybody at that point. Benioff yeah. just said he's not going to talk to you. Well, and I don't really. I'm not really. I don't want to refer specifically to Benioff. I mean, I, I know he said that, <laughs> but um, it's it's not it's not him. It's not just him. It's you know this is. I don't know. It's like when virtue becomes this industry, mm-hmm. and it's it's like it's a company that's staked their claim. They've come up with some product that they've invested in, and then and now they have to go sell it. Can't just you can't just tell people, oh, this is. We turns out this product we made was not the right product. No, you sell it. <laughs> you know, it's like it shouldn't be like that, though. But that's kind of I don't know. Like I said, the people they they get their they sink their teeth in and they they don't budge their position. It's like, well, I don't know. Maybe it's changed. Maybe this is not the best thing. Let's let's take. I mean, we've already committed all these resources and just in terms of the dollars that it was going to take and and all the in the the human time that we were going to put this. Let's. Maybe we should put that somewhere else. And maybe it's maybe we should diversify some of that. And maybe it's not all about a trees. It's all about us. Also about you know this interesting. It goes into be, you know just making sure that a lot of the, like indigenous people like we preserve their 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 land rights and different things. And there's just, I mean, again there's all these the studies that look at all this stuff. And maybe there's other ways we can better accomplish the goal. Sure, but you have to. But the problem is when you when you come up with some slogan like one trillion trees. Uh, Five, you know, four hundred billion trees doesn't sound doesn't roll off the tongue quite as easily. True, and also it's admitting you were wrong, and people don't like doing that. I think there's two sides to that. I think there's there's people who don't like admitting, and it sh- wrong, but it shouldn't be about that. It shouldn't think, be about oh, have, I was wrong or he I, was wrong. It's I think social media and anonymity on online has has made us very afraid of admitting our when we're wrong because you can't people yeah. just jump on you. Yeah. It's very rare, and they like they like to bring it up, and they like to talk about how oh well this happened. Well, look what you said about this, and it's just it's our culture right now with social media has just really been bad for us, and bad for public discourse, and bad for for a lot of things. But yeah, let's move on. You're going to lower my testosterone with this conversation. That's already too low. (laughs) I know. I heard the number. Yeah, (laughs) I'm becoming fast becoming the husband. Um, let's see. Where's, let me go back to our doc here. Wow, my, my trackpad stopped functioning. Well, I can keep going. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, you want to talk about the rabbit hole of DOMS and performance straw man? What's DOMS? Delayed onset muscle soreness? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Really? Yeah. No. Okay. (laughs) Are document object models? Yes, that one. Okay. That one. You need to lowercase your S there then. It's confusing. No, I'm, it's DOMS. (laughs) (laughs) Marker. (laughs) Um, anyway, so the reason I bring this up is because I was reading this, uh, I'm going to call it a fluff piece on, on Svelte. Uh, so I, I try to keep my thumb on these JavaScript frameworks that are out there. Oh, yeah. And to... Svelte and, uh, what are the other hot ones? Eleventy is really hot and yeah. um, there's all these different things that are. Yeah. So Svelte's claim to fame is that they compile. So you write all your code and it compiles, but it compiles to JavaScript. Um, yeah, but the, the it's, yeah, but the and it's it's like what do they mean by compiled? Like the templates all compile down and and it's it, this reminds me. What's the lightning thing they came out with? That's kind of it's all like pre-compiled, so there's less runtime compiling of these things every time you know someone goes to a page. What was that called? Um, then they announced it recently. You're talking about Aura? No, 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 oh, no, 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 no. It's a, it's an LWC thing, but it's 
it's some thing they have now where it it pre-compiled. I think it's I think it, I'm not sure if it's more for sites, but it's it's like pre-compiled LWC. So it just oh, that might runs be for sites. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it just it, for sites. yeah. So the it just runs much faster. Yeah, I forget what it's called. I'm and, I'm, and that's that's one of the, so right now there's about two thousand people that are yelling at us. Yeah, I'm sure that know the answer to this. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. That, that's what we do. We keep you engaged by making you angry. Yeah, <laughs> just like social media. Yeah. We're just doing our part. Um, and that's that's one of the that's what self uh, felt. Svelte. I can't say that word very well. It doesn't roll off it the is, tongue. It's hard to say. Svelte. Svelte. And you have to like channel your inner. Um, what, is, what language would that be? No. Like it's like some kind of uh, Slovakian language or something. Or I like guess. you're Slavic, not getting Slavic out of that statement language. without offending a bunch of people. Oh, I know. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what what languages have that. The SV. Uh, I feel like that's their. Uh, I want to say like a Russian thing. Yeah, it's exactly. Slavic yeah. languages. Thank you. Uh, anyways. Uh, so that's their claim is that that they're able to compile it. It's a lot of it is kind of pre-compiled and predetermined where it can be, uh, and thus the JavaScript executes much faster. I mean that part still runs in the browser. They're also claiming um, performance by the fact that they're directly manipulating the DOM instead of virtual DOM, like say React or something. Or I think the React and Vue both use virtual DOMs. And uh, the idea uh, should we get into virtual DOM? <laughs> And the problems it tries to solve. So virtual DOM is is basically a virtual representation of the, the document object model where all your changes happen. Is this not the shadow DOM or is that something different? It's different than okay. the shadow DOM. Right. So I think shadow DOM is kind of an answer to providing a native virtual DOM. But vir shadow DOM kind of handles more encapsulation and things like that. Can I guess what the end answer to this is? What? The virtual DOM is just, it, you manipulate it. It's much faster to manipulate the virtual DOM. And then once you're done... You then copy the results of that to your DOM. It's, it, yeah, it depends on the implementation. Some okay. selectively try to manipulate the DOM based on the changes, and some just overwrite the DOM with all changes. Mm -hmm. um, but the fact is that because you're manipulating the virtual DOM, multiple things can change it at any point in time until you get to a state that's ready to copy and, and post over into the, to the actual DOM. Mm -hmm. So you're not having to rewrite the dom over and over and over you're still dealing with memory and you can overwrite that as much as you want until it's done and then you can click render and it renders it all at once okay so that's where you're getting your performance from for what what are we talking about just manipulating the dom so the okay. the 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 rise of single page applications the rise of 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 applications all being run real time in your browser and executing um and that's that those are just the challenges of, of dealing with web-based development of Manipulating the DOM and trying to make it more performant, trying to make it more snappy, or trying to trying to handle things like state of your system, and and be able to display all that. Um, but it kind of it's. I'm wondering if it's the the ar the argument kind of gets, gets muddled because it's all a depends. It's all a it depends on your situation. Mm -hmm. You know, really large applications benefit a lot from virtual DOM. Really small applications really don't. So what is what uses virtual DOM right now? React. React. is probably the one of the bigger ones, yeah. Okay. Like, or the it, biggest. Does Vue do this? I think Vue does okay. it as well, yeah. I didn't really go into Vue in terms of a t dive into Vue other than I've used it, I've built stuff on it, I've maintained stuff on it, and released it. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't nerd out on Vue as much as I would intended to. Um, I was kind of dancing. By the time Vue came out, I was kind of going, at this point, shouldn't we just be doing vanilla JS? Um, and my answer to that is no. 
<laughs> I think for smaller things, yeah. But my love affair with vanilla JS has lessened more and more as I get into it because I end up having to rebuild yeah. and rewrite some of the same concepts and mechanisms that are already exist in Vue and JS. I mean, vanilla State JS management, is very DOM manipulation, <laughs> all of that stuff. It's a reason there's a framework for it. It's um, it's very hipster. It's, it's a little too hipster, a little too crunchy. To what? To Van- go vanilla, vanilla? Vanilla? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I fell in love with the idea. I was like, I'm going to go full native, just JavaScript. I mean, we don't need those frameworks anymore. ES6 just changed the world and made everything. No, you still need it. Yeah, right. There's still a lot to account for. There's still a lot to manage. And it's not stuff you want to spend your time writing. We still, need, we still need our shivs. We still need our shivs. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. These conversations about frameworks, I, I find interesting because everyone's, everyone's very creative in trying to solve the same problem. And they come up with new ideas. And they're worthy ideas. And they're worthy experimentation. Yeah. Um, so I always find the subject of of performance and 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 frameworks to be interesting, uh, especially since I've for the longest time just not a fan of web based applications. I understand you've why they never exist. been a fan of web applications. I understand why they exist, ever. and I build them. And I probably cannot build a, a desktop application to save my life anymore because I've been so involved in web sure you technologies. Can. Um, you just make it. Um, no, just a uh, what's the what's it called? Electron. Electronic. Yeah, yeah, yeah I could do that. <laughs> Uh, in fact, when I was thinking about building an app, it was going to be an Electron app because yeah. I lost all my skills in, in working with an OS. Yeah. Uh, but I just think that the OS experience is still the best. The, the, the value of integrating with the operating system is still the best. Not only from just a productivity and usability perspective, but from a performance perspective as well. Yeah, you got to remember, um, so you're the, type of, you're the type of person, like you as a, as a, like a user of computers, is like a TV watcher who notices when the TV is in soap opera mode. Yes. The problem is yes. 90% of computer slash web users, whatever, are people who the analogy on the TV thing was, but they don't, they don't notice it's soap opera mode. And you, you, you know, you go to their house, you're like, Oh my God, what, let me fix this for you. So you fix their TV and they're like, that doesn't look as good anymore. Or that, or they don't notice. They just don't notice. Like my parents don't, would never notice. Right. <laughs> and now you're getting to the point of my conversation, which is you had sent me a, a message of, of I don't know. I think you dug up some article about Basecamp and it was talking about, I think the, the crux of the tweet was people don't care if you're native or, or not. They just want a good app. That's true. I mean, that's the bottom line. And I think, you know, I think we as a community, we do nerd out about these technologies. We put a lot of, we put a lot of effort into learning these frameworks to the point where we start defending them because we have so much, we just have so much tied into them. Um, but at the end of the day, users really don't care. Like I said, I, I prefer OS native applications, but really, for most things, input, output, data entry stuff, it doesn't have to be. Yeah. I mean, imagine, um, I think it's, uh, considering that you can also, like for l- lots of types of apps, you can build, let's talk about mobile apps for a second, because mm-hmm. that was the, the base camp thing. Um, you, can, you can build really, really good I guess non-native or what are, what are they called? Hybrid, Hybrids, or hybrid yeah. apps. Mm-hmm. Um, the the tools for it now, the technology, the the web browsers, these web browsers that that phones have are their, the performance is so good that they. I mean, because some of it's they're just their performance is so good they're hiding the what used to be performance issues in these apps. Mm-hmm. Um, and you gotta you gotta remember that you know, let's say you're a, a company, you know, a company that has you know some kind of product and it needs apps for it it needs like it needs like a mobile component i mean let's just call like a, a team 
a developer team that can build an app, let's call it $2 million a year is your cost. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have an iOS app or an iOS team and an Android team? Are you going to have uh, just a mobile team that builds your mobile app? I mean, it's how do you how do you justify yeah, for the and, economics yeah. and for lots of apps you you cannot justify because the hybrid app is great I'm, i haven't used i'm sure what were they talking about i don't know if they were talking about their their email because i can't remember this this was a pretty old post mm-hmm. so i'm not sure they were because i was wondering if I they were talking, the what's their part, email so hey hey.com right so i was like i wonder if this is their i wonder if they're talking about their hey client mm-hmm. or if they're if it was previous but Regardless, I, I would imagine that whatever app they were talking about that they that was their app. I mean, it was probably really good. They probably did a really good job. Those guys don't mess around, you know. They're yeah. And, well, it was also timely because uh, one password is is I think their native products right now. So they have a native Windows, they have a native OS. But I think I think I don't know if you told me or, or if I read that that they were moving to a. Uh, they are. Oh, it's going Electron. Electron. Yeah. yeah. So Electron. the one password app that we run on Mac or on Windows. It's going Electron. Yeah. I am not, I'm not running that one yet. I don't think. I have not upgraded. Oh, I thought it was still a beta or pilot. I think it thing. is still beta. Okay. Yeah, maybe so. I don't know. I but hope yeah. it's good. I mean, I you mean, have companies that have gone the Electron route, like uh, Evernote is one of them. Is it Electron? They, they started out Electron, oh. and then they transitioned to Native, and they ended up with a uh, Windows team and a, um, a Mac team. Uh, don't get me started on Evernote, man. It's a very, it's not a... So uh, the companies have tried it both ways, yeah. you know, starting out one way and mm-hmm. going to another, maturing to a point where they can do that. But um, maybe that's why you're having problems with Evernote now. Maybe the fact that they've, they've split their team up into these, these two different OS-focused environments, that it's prevented them from advancing the product the way they, want, they need to or want to. My fear is that basically at this point, Evernote's a failed company. Mm. And you're just seeing uh, it's... Just maintaining you know, it, its, its decline. Yeah, it's like it, the, the shell of that used to be a company kind of just, yeah, maintaining a decline. Yeah. Because I'm just so dependent on Evernote, and it, it's sad. <laughs> it's sad how dependent you are? Yeah, it, it, it's sad that I'm dependent on, I'm, a, I'm afraid what's a, is a failed and dying company. I bet, they, I bet Evernote is 10 times smaller than what it was at its peak. It, I mean, for, for what it did, a note-taking app, it rose really high. Yeah, with the branding and everything. I mean, you could get print. You could get printed moleskin notebooks yeah. for Evernote. You oh, can get a printer that said Evernote. Yeah, it was an Evernote printer. Yep, they had big deals. Um, mm-hmm. They raised a ton of money, mm-hmm. hired a, had a bunch of employees, and I think it's all just yeah, kind of falling apart since then. And you can just see that just in the quality of the apps, it's just I have issues all the time. Mm. And they try to keep adding these features to, I think, resurrect demand for Evernote. Because I don't, is, is anyone, is, is Evernote acquiring new customers at this point? <laughs> it's hard to imagine, right? And if I were to start over, I probably, I probably would look very strongly at Apple Notes now. Apple's Notes, whatever they're called. You know, I've, I've kind of dipping my toe in it, too. And, and with the new OS, it's even easier because you just kind of push your mouse to the bottom right corner. And the little new note... Mm thing pops up and you can just start typing notes i mean it's pretty convenient in yeah. fact i had put a recipe in notes and i'd lost the link to that recipe and we wanted to try it again and i was like well i, I have no clue how to find it again and i was like oh wait a minute i transferred it, that recipe to you through notes yeah 
and went in there and found it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's really convenient, and the fact that it's everywhere, and that's kind of what you want from a note app. But the fact that it's just so ingrained in the OS made it really nice. Um, I know they they really. I mean, because initially, I mean, the feature set of notes was super simple, and it, it still just is. wasn't. Is it okay? Yeah. But they, they've I know they've improved it a lot. So I, at some point, I should take a look because then there would be. A big migration effort. And I don't, I haven't even looked. Do people have like, because, you know, you can export your Evernote data completely. And it's just questions like, is there something that will import that? Or is there a tool that will migrate mm. that for you? Yeah. Because that'd be my big, I mean, my whole life is in Evernote. I have the only physical documents I have are basically like passport, birth certificate, um, social security card. Well, now, now everyone knows how to hack Jeremy. Just hack into his everything oh, yeah, and yeah. you've got you've got his life i mean my that's my rule is i'm, I'm just digital I, yeah. I don't want physical i don't want i want to rely on physical pieces of things as little as possible sure that's not bad i mean i'm the same way although i keep my tax records we, for forever for some I, reason mine are all digital then they, they, they never hit physical they never become physical so it's great and it's all backed up in the cloud john it's in the cloud well, I need to wrap up. I got an interview here in a few minutes. Oh wow, we went longer than I thought. Yeah, or we started later than I thought. Well, John, thanks for carrying the show for me. Appreciate that. Everyone, uh, I'm sure, appreciates that. Only if they enjoyed the topics. That's true. Then, then they hating it. And um, how many people do you think made it through the first thirty minutes? <laughs> probably not many. We probably got an angry uh, review waiting for us. Oh yeah. About how we didn't talk about Salesforce. What's this show even about? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's about uh, nothing. Yeah, just a nothing and everything. Couple of blow Joe blows hanging out in front of microphones, talking to talking to each other. Yep. Well, dear listener, thank you for joining us on yet another journey on this uh, on this show. Um, we have a Slack channel that, if you're not in, we would love you to come join. That's at Good Day Sir. Sorry, www.gooddaysirpodcast.com, and you just click on community. You can send us an email with questions or feedback. It's at info at gooddayserpodcast.com. You can also, um, you can do a sticker request. We just need your mailing address and how many stickers you want. I can get up to about 10 if you have like a group or whatever, up to about 10. I think maybe it's 20. I forget in these little envelopes we have. Um, Share us on the socials. Tell your friends and enemies. Don't use flow. I'm just kidding. Flow's, Flow's not bad. Use it judiciously. Use the right tool. Use it when it right makes sense. The right yeah. Job, Jeremy. Yeah. That's always the hardest thing, though. How do I know? That's a good question. If you have a scenario like that, send it in to us. We don't. We get very little uh, email anymore, John. Yeah, I'd like to hear people's stories about using Flow and things like that. Yeah. If you have like some crazy situation or some crazy thing you saw, I mean, yeah, send that. I think. I think a lot of this stuff gets hashed out in the Slack, is, and so people don't send it, you know, into our inbox anymore. But whatever, we'll take it wherever we can get it. Mm-hmm. And to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing! You lose! Good day, sir! Oh, Jeremy wasn't ready. <laughs>